Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Usually every Saturday morning, Drew Meredith and myself go live to talk about what's happening in the economy, answer your questions, and just have a bit of fun with you. But this week, I'm away on holiday, and Drew is somewhere else. So what we're doing is we are airing a very special episode that we recently recorded with JP Morgan Asset Management's Arjun V. He's a portfolio manager of the JP Morgan Global Bond Fund. Now, you might be thinking, well, this is a conversation about bonds. Usually you're talking about stocks and financial planning and all those types of things. As we've said a few times on the Two Cents recordings every Saturday, deciding how you allocate a bond or fixed income part of your portfolio in 2023 is probably the most important decision any of us will make because all of a sudden interest rates are up, yields are up, and fixed income is back. So we talk about all of that and more with Arjun in this podcast. It's also recorded in video, so you can watch it over on the YouTube channel. And of course, you can head to the JP Morgan Asset Management website. There is a link in the show notes if you want to learn more about bond positioning and how the team thinks about it. As JP Morgan is a long-term sponsor of the Australian Investors Podcast, I must say that this episode is a sponsored episode, but don't let that detract from the episode. It is actually a fantastic conversation, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Arjun. Thanks for listening. Arjun, thanks for taking some time to join me on the show. Thank you for having me. Big trip down here from uh, Hong Kong to Melbourne. And you've got some great coffee beans in front of you there. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is why I'm here <laughs> in Melbourne. I've heard the coffee is amazing, so um, I, I'm going to take some back to Hong Kong and see what it's like. Great, yeah, not a, not a sponsor of the show, by the way, but uh, grateful to have some uh, Axel coffee beans in here, uh, mate. We are going to talk about fixed income, bonds. We're going to talk about credit. We're going to talk about interest rates, all those fun things. And we're just talking off air about your backstory, which we'll get to in just a moment, because you seem very young for the position (laughs) that you hold, which is fantastic. To get the ball rolling, can you describe the macroeconomic environment in a few sentences? Okay. uh, I'll try to keep it really short. Um, You know, two things. um, Global inflation and global growth are both slowing, and the chance of recession is increasing every month. 
Um, that's the sort of environment where high quality bonds tend to do well. Not only do they offer diversification, but they offer you a chance at capital appreciation when everything else can turn sour. Mm. Why? Let's just double click on that. Why do they tend to perform well? They tend to perform well because central banks have a tendency to pull interest rates lower as they respond to uh, slowing growth. You know, the reason they would not pull um, rates lower is if, if inflation was high. But if on the other side you have inflation falling, it gives central banks room to pull interest rates lower. Mm -hmm. um, and typically that has a very direct effect on bond prices. Mm. Um, whereas obviously in a growth environment, um, in a slow growth environment, stocks don't tend to do as well. Mm. So that's the primary sort of um, reason bonds do well in that kind of environment. Mm. So you've been with JP Morgan Asset Management for over 10 years, just yes. over 10 years. Yeah. Uh, you've been doing this a long time, then it would seem. But I'm curious, uh, what's one thing you might have learned in the most recent 12 months? I feel like investing is this constant game of curiosity and Absolutely. fascination. So what's one thing you've learned recently? I mean, I've in the last 10 years, you learn multiple lessons in humility. <laughs> and this year is no different. Um, I think the one thing that we've all sort of learned over the last year, year and a half, um, is the importance of timing in, sort of, um, is the importance of averaging in and reducing the importance of timing your investment to a specific point. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, what we've, we've had, we've held the view that growth is slowing and a recession is imminent. Well, not imminent, but at some point in the next six mm -hmm. months to one year. Um, and if you'd held a, uh, a bond portfolio with only high quality government bonds in it, you wouldn't have done well. Um, that doesn't mean that you should not have that trade on. Um, it should pay off in the next six to 12 months. Uh, and so it makes sense to average in. Mm. And while you're uh, building that portfolio, you want other assets that supplement your core bond portfolio. So that's that's a lesson we've learned this year, uh, there's, it doesn't make much sense to put all your eggs in one basket, diversify, mm. uh, take your time averaging into your core view because you don't know exactly when it plays out. Mm. That's really well said, I like that. Um, so like I said, coming up on 11 years, I'm curious where this all started for you because my understanding is you've worked right around the world and currently you're in Hong Kong, but how did this, fascination for investing catch on? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, there's no one person or one book mm. that sort of, you know, led me in this sort of this direction. Uh, my father and my grandfather, have all, they've always done some amount of investing. I've seen it since a very young age. Um, they used to run their own business, but they would take their savings and sort of invest it into the stock market. And what I found was um, that um, in times when the business was not doing well, they had this other stream of income. Mm. Um, so it was complementary and I sort of understood the importance of diversification. So the fascination, and I, I saw it sort of improved or at least maintained our lifestyle, even at times when the business was not doing well. Mm. Um, and so I understood the importance of investing in a very general sense. Uh, then um, I was always slightly quantitative in school, uh, and I was interested in economics. I like to read about stuff, particularly geopolitical events or even just markets more generally. Um, and I, um, you know, in in high school, I took a class in economics and it, it, it really interested me. 
Um, I then went to college to further pursue it. And I went to a place which had a very solid economics and finance um, sort of um, department um, mm. in Chicago. Um, and then um, as I met people over there, um, I, I was able to take certain classes um, in the business school. Um, and that's when it really picked up because you meet this whole mm. ecosystem of people who are talking about things that in general sort of interest you. Um, and um, I realized I was good at it. Um, uh, and <laughs> so I helps. decided to, that 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 helps a lot. Um, you know, if it's something that you enjoy doing and you and you, and you feel like you are um, stimulated by it, um, it obviously that's a plus. Mm. Um, and then um, I found my way into JP Morgan. That was my first job. And I've been there ever since. How did you find your way into fixed income in particular? So, you know, fixed income, I, we all have perceptions of what it is. Uh, my mm. perception at the time was uh, this is slightly more quantitative um, and a little bit more, uh, I, I found it ironically um, a little bit more tangible, a little bit because it was perhaps slightly more quantitative. There was some math to it. Yep. At least that was, that's what my perception at the time was. And over time, I've learned it's more about psychology and <laughs> <laughs> less about the math. Um, and... Um, so uh, it, it just felt more natural to me. Um, and a lot of the financial classes that I took at the time were more fixed income centric slash derivative centric. Yeah. Um, and so the when I applied, um, this was one of the first things, first departments I wanted to sort of apply to. Um, and luckily sort of they took me. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's taken you all around the world, as I said. So yeah. I'm... Curious though, you said something there. A lot of people do have the perception that it's all about numbers and spreadsheets. You know, we think about yield and all these portfolio metrics that people tend to come up with duration, convexity. Yeah. It tends to just be up there in the sky for a lot of people that they don't, can't really grasp it. Yeah. And then your view seems to have formed that it's more about investor psychology and these types of things. How do you frame that now? Like, how do you think about what you do day to day? And what I'm particularly curious is like, how did you come to that realization that that's that that's what it is? Uh, I mean, uh, in terms of in in terms of it being all about psychology and markets. Mm. So I mean, you know, we all have quantitative frameworks for what is value in a security. Mm. But what you'll often find, at least I've seen over the last ten years, is things can deviate very far from your sense of what value is. Now that can be for a couple of reasons. Mm. It can be that your calculation of valuation is wrong or nobody else sort of believes it. Uh, or generally the market sentiment is just in the other direction. Um, and that's sort of when you start to realize that you can, um, you can have a framework that helps you think about things, but if others aren't using it, um, then um, it's, a, it's quite pointless <laughs> in yeah, terms of making point, returns. Yeah. Um, and so I think psychology is at least as important, if not more. Mm. How do you, how do you now like, how do you personally approach your investing? So I mean, um, in my investing is very goals based. Uh, I try to keep it simple. Um, I have a, a couple of different objectives that I want to hit, and I you know I segment my portfolio um, towards those goals. So as as an example. Um, I want to save to buy a house uh, mm -hmm. and um, I've almost hit the corpus I want to get to. 
Um, and so in that part of my portfolio, I've reduced my equity risk substantially because I don't need the volatility. Now I just need mm. a more certain small amount of return to sort of get there. Um, there's another part of my portfolio where I'm accumul- I'm trying to build long-term, trying to have a long-term perspective and build capital appreciation over the long run. And so that's more oriented towards equities. So the, I think the most important thing is to have a goal. Uh, uh, or a couple of goals, um, structure your portfolio centric to those goals, diversify, um, because it's the diversification that helps you reduce volatility. Mm. Um, so that's big picture what the investment philosophy is sort of personally for me. Mm. Um, I also, you know, try to buy things that I understand. So um, I feel like I have a better understanding of Indian equities because I was Mm. I told you my father and my grandfather used to invest. Mm. Um, so that's uh, relative to, uh, you know, others that I know. I have more Indian stocks in my portfolio. Mm. Uh, but I, have a, I feel like I have a better understanding of how that market works. So mm. um, at a very high level, I try to buy things I understand. Mm. I love it. It's a, it's a great way to, that goals-based investing is not what a lot of people think about because they don't always think about, well, what are my goals? And they sit down and actually think about, well, do I want a house? Is it for kids? Is it for this? Yeah. Most, most people, I think it was about eight or nine out of 10 people in our survey that we did recently said it was retirement. Just that's, and that's yeah. kind of why we all do it, right? Um, at the end of the day, we want that Absolutely. ability. Yeah. But uh, I think in your instance, it makes sense to have the separate yeah. goals and, uh, you know, those yeah. objectives. I mean, even within retirement, I think it's, important to quantify what the dollar amount is you're after mm-hmm. um, and you know also if, if possible <laughs> quantify you know what what inflation would do to that dollar amount from today um, mm-hmm. and then it becomes easier uh, <laughs> uh, does, in terms yeah. of sort of uh, taking the next steps yeah uh, I did have a read of a, a Bloomberg article which you were quoted in as about this time last year, September 2022. Right. And I think from memory, the the article was suggesting it's starting to look really interesting in certain parts of fixed income right now. Yeah. And um, lo and behold, that's kind of played out, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's been a really interesting year. Absolutely. And um, fast forward to now, and I'm speaking to a lot of financial advisors and capital allocators, generally speaking, who are thinking- Basically, bonds are back in the fa- in the fact that I can get yield from these things. I can get the protection I've always wanted. And three or four years ago, it seemed like that was never going to happen again. And all of a sudden, we're here. Yeah. So, I'm curious, how do you think about this now? Uh, we've seen lots of money flow into fixed income products over the last, say, 12 months. How are you thinking about this now? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to just sell our fund. <laughs> but... Uh, um, I, I do think bonds are back. Um, there are a couple of, I mean, I'm happy to talk you through why I think that. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, uh, we look at the fundamentals and then we can look at the valuations. So on fundamentals, um, as we were sort of discussing earlier, uh, the, the, your biggest enemy is actually inflation because uh, you're getting paid in bonds a fixed amount. And if so, inflation's high, uh, it's eating up um, mm. your spending power. And so um, inflation's falling from record high levels and it's expected to stabilize. You know, in the US it went up to almost eight and a half, nine percent. And when we look at core inflation now, it's running at about 3%. Uh, We expect it to stabilize and maybe fall a little bit lower 
from here, uh, which gives us comfort that central banks uh, will stop tightening interest rates. So you're at the cusp now uh, of a period where they're going to probably pause for a while. And then later on, as the economy slows, uh, cut interest rates mm. uh, to stimulate growth. Then comes the growth side. Growth is also important. Typically, in a high growth environment, stocks do well. In a low growth environment, uh, central banks have the ability to cut interest rates. Um, and so typically bonds perform well in that environment and it's a defensive asset that you can hold. Mm. So fundamental side, uh, inflation and growth, if you had to pick a scenario that was perfect for bonds, it would be one where both are sort of coming down. Mm. Uh, that's the environment we've just sort of entered into it. Um, on the valuations, uh, valuations are extremely, um, I would say in some parts of the market, uh, very attractive and other parts of the market approaching attractive. Um, so one metric that people use often, and I think it's quite reliable uh, over the long run is real yields. Um, and real yields is effectively just taking your nominal bond yield and subtracting inflation from it. Mm -hmm. When it's elevated, it's typically um, a good sign for the bond market. It indicates that there's a lot of value in it. Mm. So when we look at real yields for developed market government bonds, um, um, and there's various ways to quantify it, but there's market indices available, our sense is that number's running around 1.3 to 1.5% on average mainly because US real yields are high. Mm. When we compare that with its 25 year average, um, this is higher, that 25 year average is around 1%. Mm. And we've also looked at the 100 year average uh, because we have the resources to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know we're approaching those levels. So it's attractive, um, attractive over a long sort of time horizon. Mm. Secondly, as you pointed out, for the last 15 years, you haven't been paid that. So if I were to show you a chart, the real yield was negative for a very long mm. period of time. So finally, the asset class is doing what it's supposed to do. Mm. So that's one way of looking at valuations. The other way to look at valuations is to think about uh, upside and downside. Um, and frankly, when yields in, let's say the US were at 0%, you were getting paid a very small amount of coupon or what we call carry. Mm. And then interest rates were moving up. You know, the Fed raised interest rates from zero to 5%. And whenever that happens, you have capital downside. So you got paid zero carry, mm. and you got a lot of capital downside. Now we're in a state where yields are already at 4%. Um, and the central bank is likely pausing. Maybe they hike one more time, uh, but more likely than not, they're gonna start cutting next year. Um, and so that means now you have an asset that pays you a lot better carry, but also has capital upside. So it's fundamentally, uh, from a valuation perspective, very different from last year. Mm. Uh, there's a positive asymmetry to the whole asset class, um, which is not something that happens often. Uh, it, typically, this is the sort of thing that would happen after a very large sell-off. Mm. Um, and we've had that very last, large sell-off last year. So both on valuations, they're attractive and then the fundamentals are in the right direction. And sort of simply put, that's why we think um, if you haven't had bonds in your portfolio, you want to start adding now. Mm. Um, so, yeah.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I like it. And thank you for taking the time to step us through that because this is the, the thing that is on the mind of many of our listeners. In fact, it's, it's probably the number one thing on my mind right now as well. Yeah. Um, because a few years ago, basically, the way we thought about it was well, we had to switch to cash just to, to get out of that duration risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's it's almost like the best – it's been the best year to <laughs> consider long-term investing this year because – yeah. Like you said, some prices have come down, and now is the time to reposition portfolios. Can you tell us a little? Actually, I've caught up on something that something that you just said hit me, like the cash thing, because I think it makes a lot of sense to have had cash up until now. Hmm. Uh, because personally, you know, interest rates were still moving up, so bonds would have given you some amount of negative price action, even hmm. though it was giving you some positive carry. Uh, but going forward, uh, you and I don't know when we get the next crisis. Uh, mm. What we do know uh, is that we are late cycle, interest rates are high, uh, growth is slowing. So incrementally, the chance of a crisis has gone up. Um, when the chance of a crisis sort of goes up, um, you want to buy assets that perform well uh, in that crisis. So uh, cash, at that point of time would still just give you the carry in terms of return that you're getting mm. today. So whether it's 4% here or 5% in the US, but a 10 year bond would pay you, you know, three and a half, four percent carry. But let's say we do get into a crisis and interest rates fall, it gives you very high capital appreciation. Mm. Uh, it could be double digit sort of return uh, over, a, over a cycle. Um, and, and therefore, um, sometimes it's okay to, take a little bit less carry. It's like buying an option uh, mm. to get that potential upside uh, mm. because there's a incremental chance that something bad plays out in the economy. Mm. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit more? I've got a few more questions about sure. the process yeah. and these types of things, but can you tell us a little bit more about the fund? Um, I know there are quite a few of you that work on it um, across the, the JP Morgan Asset Management team, of course. But can you tell us more about the process, however you want to frame that, if it's top down, meets bottom up, how you think about it? And then I'm sure I'll have some follow-ups from there. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, the, it is both top down and bottom up. And bottom up. Um, but I think what what's really important about, about our process is um, this is a global fund. Um, mm. It's a core bond fund, um, and so it has the ability to invest in different markets. And in order to invest in different markets, you need to have resources to understand those different segments. So at JP Morgan Asset Management, within the fixed income division, um, we have over 300 investment professionals covering different pockets of the market, over 74 research analysts. Mm -hmm. And so what we try to do, uh, what we've figured out over the years, and I've been here about 10 years, is we've really honed our process to be able to extract the best ideas from the resources that we have through a formal meeting schedule as well as through informal conversations because we all sit together on trade flows and 
different mm-hmm. parts of the world um, and then implement it into our portfolio. So first thing is resources. And second is a process that allows you to extract the best ideas and then efficiently implement them across all portfolios. I think we do a very good job at that. I think it's very important to have that for a global fund mm. um, because in a global fund, you have multiple opportunities. Uh, um, so, um, you know, and, and, and no one person can be an expert. So our team has seven portfolio managers, like you said. Mm. Uh, we're based in Hong Kong and in London and in New York. Um, and we cover different parts of the market. So, for example, I specialize more on the China side because it makes sense. I'm in the right time zone mm. for it. Uh, my colleagues in the U.S. obviously specialize in U.S. rates and U.S. credit. Um, and then our boss sits in London um, and he aggregates all this information into a fund. Hmm. Um, so uh, it's it's the culture of the organization is also very debate-oriented. And because we have... Um, you know, it's no holds barred. You can bring your ideas <laughs> and, you know, they might get shot down, uh, but we encourage con- conversation. And so that helps um, in, in sort of structuring this global product. So a lot of people that listen to this um, will be familiar with the day-to-day role that maybe an equities analyst, a share analyst goes through each day, what they're looking at, um, the types of metrics that they think about. How does your role each day in a fixed income team differ from that? Yeah, I mean, it's, It's a very different proposition, even just from a mindset standpoint. If you think about the mindset of an equity investor, you're thinking about long-term growth. You're Mm. thinking about opportunities that make you that. Uh, You buy the company that gives you 10 times the return uh, (laughs) over a reasonably short time period. Mm. Uh, So your approach to taking risk and what you're looking for in a company is very different. In our world, uh, you make money in bonds by avoiding the speed bumps, by avoiding the blow ups. So the mindset itself is very different. Um, Mm. We're more focused on being very fundamental and averse to, um, uh, on basically protecting you on the downside, averse to any downside risk. Mm. So the approach to our analysis from a credit standpoint is different. Secondly, um, you know, uh, we, unlike equities, we have the ability to add diversification and also return uh, by buying, many different types of assets, not just limited to sort of sector. Mm. Uh, There's a different duration. So as in some bonds can be long bonds, some can be two years, some can be 10 years, some can be 30 years. We also identify uh, for the same quality, uh, you know, one country may be cheap, one country may be expensive. So that's the framework we're sort of looking at. Mm. Uh, We're trying to identify uh, what's the right tenor you want to be in. uh, And then within... Uh, your basket of quality um, constrained for volatility, what's the best option uh, um, available in terms of getting you that risk-adjusted return? So it's mindset, um, and it's just looking at things from a downside protection angle, particularly in a Mm. core bond fund. That's what adds alpha over the long run. First and foremost, going back to the knitting, which is downside protection. Yeah. Yeah, great. How does the team structure itself then from a portfolio manager perspective you mentioned three different time zones how does how do you make that work is it because you've got that centralized report in london 
Well, it's a lot of late calls and early calls. <laughs> uh, yes, it's a lot of phone calls <laughs> and Zoom meetings uh, on a weekly basis at odd hours, but it works. <laughs> uh, it's definitely doable. Um, so the ultimate decision-making authority is Miles. Um, he's the head of the team. He's my boss and he's based in London. Um, and then we have six other portfolio managers that sort of report into him. Um, I'm based in Hong Kong. A few of us are based in London. We also have a colleague based in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're in different regions, we're able to uh, specialize in local markets um, mm-hmm. and then bring those best ideas into the fund. Um, so, for example, I specialize more on the China side uh, because I'm in the right time zone. I understand that market really well. I can see the technicals day in and day out. Mm. I sit with other investors that on a daily basis um, invest only in Chinese securities or in more Asian uh, Asia-Pac sort of securities. Uh, similarly, a colleague in the U.S. understands U.S. credit and U.S. rates better. Ultimately, we meet on a weekly basis consistently every Tuesday and Wednesday in formal meetings and informally we're speaking all the time. Mm. Um, And then we're pushing our best ideas using one framework. So we quantify all our investments in terms of fundamentals, quantitative valuations and technicals. We, We rank each investment on the basis of these three criteria. So it allows us to take these different investments but compare them using one framework Mm the same time we specialize and then get those ideas implemented into this global portfolio so it's like a best ideas core bond fund mm. how does it work just from a high level then how does it work to give investors a sense of what's inside the portfolio uh, do you set constraints on geographies currencies how do you think about portfolio composition at the highest level okay cool that's a good one um, so you know we have a benchmark Uh, And the benchmark is the broadest set of investment grade bonds um, in the world market weighted. Uh, It's called the Global Aggregate Index. Uh, It includes governments, corporates, quasi-government bonds, all of that in one sort of index. Our job is to beat the return that you get in this index over the long run. Uh, How do we sort of go about uh, doing that? Well, uh, first and foremost, the benchmark itself is very diversified. Uh, it, if, if at last count, I think it's over 10,000 securities in it or something hmm. of that sort. Um, and um, we have the ability to pick and choose different markets that we can invest in. So as an example in our portfolio today, we have some exposure to US bonds, some to UK, some to Australia, some to China. We buy uh, European credit, but equally we buy US credit. Uh, hmm. We buy securitized in our portfolio as well. Uh, so more related to the housing market in the US. Um, we have the ability to trade derivatives. So there's a lot we can actually and we can sort of do. Um, ultimately, the high level big constraints are the following. Um, first and foremost, uh, we run a positive duration in our portfolio and the duration is between roughly five and a half and eight and a half to nine years. Uh, that's because we're trying to give our clients interest rate sensitivity, duration. Mm. Uh, You try to make return by having that duration exposure on. We're not a fund that, um, a bond fund that has negative duration. Mm. Uh, So we're not trying to sell the whole asset class. We're long the asset class in general. Secondly, it's a core fund, which means it's mainly investment grade. So we allow only 10% in high yield. Mm. 
uh, and we have to beat our benchmark by having that very low exposure to high yield. So today we're running 0% as an example. We have a number of other constraints um, as well um, related to um, tracking error and things of that sort. But I, I would sort of, these are the two sort of mm. high level main constraints and everything within that uh, is sort of doable. Mm. Um, I, I like the idea of uh, seven portfolio managers yeah. for a global fund. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's quite unique. I can't think of many that have um, 7 p.m. sitting across it. Um, so Arjun, we see a lot of uh, ETFs that are focused on either Australia or the US, but not many global. Yeah. And this year, as mentioned, there's been a lot of money flowing into various types of fixed income products. Can you maybe talk to the benefits of being globally focused? So because we can invest in different markets, uh, we're actually looking at what various other central banks are doing. Uh, and so what what's happening in China may be very different from what's happening in the US. It may be at a fundamentally different part of its economic cycle. Mm. So for example, this year, um, we could have invested a lot more in Chinese government bonds as opposed to your traditional US, UK kind of uh, government bonds or European bonds. And you would have made um, a, a very good positive return. It's been one of the outperformers. And it's essentially because China doesn't have an inflation problem. Mm. Uh, they're cutting interest rates, whereas the rest of the world is raising interest rates. Uh, that kind of opportunity set is only available in a large global fund. Mm. Um, and what we're able to do, or what we think we do really well, and we've had a, we have a good track record of doing this, um, is we are able to time our investments and sit in the right market for the right time period, and then exit and move into the next one. Mm. That's something that's very hard to do um, in a single country fund. Mm. Um, so we're able to reduce volatility, but also deliver that much return, maybe even higher. Mm. I like it, good answer. I've got a question. So a lot of people like a lot of people listening to this are very familiar with equities. Like we eat, sleep and breathe the stock market, doesn't matter which one it is, we love it, right? Yet everyone listening to this also knows that they need to have an allocation in their core portfolio to fixed income. Yeah. At least I hope that's what everyone watching this or listening to this knows by now. And I'm curious to get your take on this as someone who's sitting across the other side of the table, not liter only literally from me, but from many investors, what are the things that you would be looking at if you were sitting across the table from me being a, a bond fund manager? Yeah. What would you be looking for? I think first and foremost, I would look for risk-adjusted returns. Um, what I want from my bond manager uh, is not an obvious sort of style bias. So a lot of people will just buy high yield in a mm. aggregate core fund. And sure, over a long run, over the long run, uh, if, if you buy a riskier asset class uh, mm. and the asset class exists at the end of the cycle, then you're probably gonna make a higher return uh, just by virtue of having invested in something that has a higher yield. Mm. Um, so that's not our style. Um, we try to minimize drawdowns versus our benchmark and try to keep the volatility of our fund at uh, the level at the level of the volatility of our benchmark and while maintaining that volatility we try to return um, obviously some positive performance on top of what the benchmark does so excess returns mm -hmm. uh, at a lower volatility would be sort of criteria number one mm -hmm. uh, second would be consistency of returns 
which again, uh, it has to do a little bit with style bias because people will get caught out. Uh, the person running a lot of credit risk or high yield risk will get caught out when the you know credit and high yield market falls or equity sentiment sort of deteriorates. Um, a good bond fund manager running a co-bond fund in that environment should be providing you protection and capital appreciation. Mm. Uh, that's sort of pivotal. So our idea is uh, we are not uh, your equity investors. <laughs> yeah. uh, you have a separate equity investor where the guys that protect you when equities don't do well, yeah. typically. Um, and uh, so uh, obviously that would be key um, in, in the way I think about my asset allocation because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find assets that are negatively correlated. And so my bond manager is doing something completely different. It doesn't make sense to mm. hold that kind of fund. So consistency of returns and uh, risk-adjusted returns. Mm. Both are I like that because it kind of just goes straight to the essence of what role um, fixed income is playing in the portfolio, right? Yeah. And uh, that's basically what you want. The proof is in the pudding. Um, so you mentioned earlier on at the top of the show, basically, you mentioned this idea that um, maybe a recession isn't imminent, but sometime maybe soon. Yeah. This is what investors could expect. It's obviously when people hear that they get a bit concerned, they think, I think the image that people put in their own heads is like depression-like type of conditions. Yeah. Not really maybe understanding the definition of a recession, but not just that. Can you share with us your view of where things go from here? However long you want to think about that, whether it's 12 months, six months, 24 months, five years, however you think about that. Sure, sure. Where are we at in the cycle and how do you position um, your thoughts and also portfolio from here? So um, I think at a very high level, um, you know, there are recession risks out there. Um, we're seeing it in parts of global manufacturing. Mm -hmm. uh, we're starting to see services PMIs also move a little bit lower. The one part of the global economy that is very strong is the labor market. Uh, generally, hiring has been at levels that is higher than we saw in mm. 2017 to 2019 when we look at the US. Uh, it's starting to come down. So unquestionably, the direction of travel is towards a weakening. So we're worried on the growth side. Um, at the same time, there are certain assets that have where a lot of value has been created. Uh, first and foremost, in, in my sort of list is core bonds, and specifically, I mean, governments and high quality agencies and high quality investment grade corporates. Uh, these are assets that have uh, the chance of delivering high positive returns, mm. even in a recession, uh, because central banks tend to cut rates. So when I think about the next 12 to 16 months, um, even if we don't get a very severe recession, but we get more of a slow moving, slow down in growth, I think given where valuations are in the fixed income space, particularly in the high quality space, there's room for capital appreciation. Mm. And secondly, uh, it feels to me like uh, on the other side, the equity markets are um, uh, not necessarily pricing any recession risk or a very low level of recession risk. So there's uh, more room for those assets to underperform as they price an appropriate level of recession risk. So when I think about risk reward, uh, next 12 to 18 months, um, I think uh, high quality bonds can do really well in your relative sort of asset allocation yep. across assets. And we already spoke about why I think it's better than cash because yep. of the positive asymmetry sort of element. Yep. 
and I'd agree with that for sure. Um, so we're going to put heaps of links in the show notes to yeah. to the JP Morgan Asset Management website, just in case anyone wants to learn more about what's inside the portfolio, uh, maybe see some of your insights and, and the like. But I thought maybe a fitting way to end this conversation, even though it's going to be very high value for a lot of our audience who are trying to properly build portfolios, whether that's for themselves or for their clients. Yeah. Maybe one way to finish up today, Arjun, is to ask you a very simple question, which is like, what's the one insight that you want to leave people with here today? I mean, other than Melbourne is meant to be good for coffee, <laughs> yeah. what would you like to, to leave us with? Yeah, I think, look, we've had a very big bear market in fixed income last year, uh, but the dynamic has changed completely. Um, the big problem all asset classes had last year was inflation. Mm. Uh, you know, you may find that inflation is still high today, but it's traveled a long way down from how bad it got. Mm. And uh, every forward leading indicator we look at points towards even lower inflation. That's probably the most important thing to think about when you're thinking about investing in bonds. Mm. Uh, so if that's not a problem, everything else is sort of kosher. <laughs> and uh, so um, I, I think that alongside downside risks have created an environment where um, over the next, you know, uh, like you said, six to 24 months, uh, you have a chance of basically making high double digit returns uh, in, in the high quality bond market. Mm. Um, it's also a good diversifier if you do get a slowdown. Uh, when inflation's high, it doesn't diversify well. Um, and so um, I think if you've had a very low or zero investment in high quality bonds, this is the time to start building it. Mm. I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, to be honest. It sounds like we're singing from the same songbook, but I genuinely believe this to be the case. And I think that any investors who have put this off for a few years because maybe the risk reward wasn't there, now is the time to go and immerse yourself in these things. So, mate, I do really appreciate you taking some time to break things down for yeah. us so simply. You spoke very eloquently and yeah. uh, I hope you enjoy the coffee. So thanks for joining me here in Melbourne. Thank you for having me. Thanks. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.